0: You're listening to the Propane Fitness Podcast, your ultimate resource for fat loss and muscle gain with none of the gimmicks. With your hosts, Yusuf and
1: Johnny. Simple rules, dramatic results. Welcome to the Propane Fitness Podcast. I am here with Dr. Anthony J. He is a biochemist and the author of Oestrogeneration. So, um, this really hinges around the exposure that we have to environmental estrogens and how that's been affecting us on an individual and a systemic population level um, in terms of infertility, sex drive, obesity, and a lot of kind of horrible downstream effects. And it's the the really annoying thing about this is that if you listen to this podcast, you're focused on making gains in your physique. And this is like the exact opposite thing that you want to be um, constantly exposed to. It always annoys me that estrogen has to be the the environmental hormone that we're exposed to. Why couldn't it have been endorphin or testosterone or something that's actually going to, going to improve our lives. But unfortunately it's estrogen and Anthony J is the expert on this. Welcome Anthony.
2: Hey, thanks for having me. That's pretty funny. That's a good point. It's so annoying. <laughs> we would it, take, estro- we would take testosterone.
1: Well, it just, know? it feels as though the world is just conspiring to,
2: ruin our gains but um (laughs) well the the worst thing for me is now i'm the estrogen guy you know (laughs) so that's that's a weird situation because of course you you never want to be that the estrogen guy and known as the estrogen guy but i can't help it it
1: could be brett Contreras being known as the ass man i don't know if you've seen him he's uh he's just like mr evidence on the glutes um, oh, that's funny. Written. Or the
2: UTI guy or something. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but, you know, yeah. you look pretty um, testosterone You know, you're, you're a bald guy with a beard. Ah. Like, it's. Yeah. I think at least uh, you're the the picture of masculinity on, on that <laughs> well, side. I was,
2: and for viewers, I'm sure you can see uh, my eyes are a little bit bloodshot. I was actually up last night. So in my, in my time zone, it's 6 a.m., as you know um but i was up which wouldn't be a problem right normally but i was up fishing last night until about 3 a.m so fishing um short night yeah i was fishing last weekend too and, and uh, i caught a 46 inch musky oh amazing and you guys probably don't have those over there but you know it's kind of like a big pike without the spots they usually have stripes uh,
1: okay how why really 3 a.m, cool a.m. is that just the time that they hang around
2: yeah the, yeah, the real big ones seem to be they, they bite better at night. So like chase them at night.
1: <laughs> well, I appreciate you coming on at 6 AM. That is uh, certainly commitment. Um, so yeah, Anthony, the uh, just to give our readers a quick rundown as well, that Johnny and myself yeah. saw a couple of your interviews. We've read some of your stuff, um, fascinating stuff, like check out some of the other stuff that he's done as well. But it got us thinking that actually we want to try and test some of these things ourselves And see what impact it has on both our blood levels and also our physiques. So Johnny and I have taken a bunch of measurements of, you know, our body anthropometrics, so um, measurements of our body, body fat, weight, and photos, and blood tests of all of the male hormones plus oestrogen, and we're going to do it 12 weeks apart, taking on a lot of Anthony's um, recommendations in his book um, to see the effects of that over time. And as predicted, I my results were low testosterone and not so much low um, total testosterone, but it was the low free test. And so I had elevated oh. SHBG, sex hormone binding globulin, which no. I'm sure I think we'll get into later. But um, he mentioned that this is actually a, a, a sign that there there is some exposure potentially to environmental estrogens, And it's something that we might be able to, to change. But some of the things that I'm doing to try and um, eliminate this would be, and it, it's it's so wide, but it's like trying to avoid... Plastics, particularly plastics that in, that um, are cooked, that contain food or heating with plastics, touching receipts, using standard detergents, candles, um, dairy, meat, lots of cosmetics, plastic bags, cling films, using the word grapefruit. Oh, damn it. Grapefruit. I've said it now. Um, <laughs> and and uh, there's, there's just so much stuff.
2: That, that's the worst. That's the worst one if you ever yeah, prioritize. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so there, there is a lot of things that have to be done, but. What we want to find out really is whether um, making these changes, whether these are things that are within our power to actually um, elicit a, a difference in our blood hormone levels. And so, Anthony, I, I realize you've done a lot of other podcasts about your general your general kind of um, approach. So, I don't want to um, make you have to repeat yourself. But would you be able just for anyone who hasn't heard of you to go over kind of some of the um, principles that were underlying your book?
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, so, the idea of the book. Yeah, uh, is it's is meant to be simple and readable for normal people. First of all, I know you're a medical student and an expert, um, but you know, and some people like you, like you, a lot of times think it's too simple. I know you personally don't, or maybe you do. I don't know. <laughs> but some people think I, I take it too simple and too casual. But I, the point there is just so average people can read the book. I mean, otherwise, I feel like what's the point of even writing if you know, I can't communicate with non experts. Um, so what I tried to do there is lay out all the artificial estrogens that we're exposed to. And those are, those are chemicals that are acting on our body like estrogen disrupting our delicate hormone balance. And there's a balance between estrogen, testosterone. And so what I did was I made a top 10 list and the top basically the top 10 estrogen artificial estrogens that we're exposed to every day. So, yeah, like I was talking to somebody yesterday. I do DNA consulting also, and I was talking to somebody who uh, their father was exposed to Agent Orange, and you know, they had all kinds of estrogenic effects. This is the daughter of somebody exposed to Agent Orange I was consulting with, and you know, I mean, Agent Orange definitely disrupts your testosterone and your estrogen. But the problem, the thing is, it's not really in my book because we're not exposed every day to Agent Orange, thank goodness. But we are exposed to a lot of different chemicals with sunscreens and soaps and, you know, red food dyes, artificial red food dyes. And there's, So this top 10 list I put together, it doesn't mean there's exactly 10 artificial estrogens. It means those are the ones that I see personally in people's everyday environments.
1: So you were saying that um, these look like the effect of some of these um, things—the top ten plus, obviously, several of the other ones—that some modifiable, some non-modifiable. What do you think is the impact that they're having on on people day to day?
2: Yeah, oh, for sure, they bring up your SHBG, like you said, um, lower testosterone. And I did some YouTube videos on this. If people want to see, like, really the technical research, because I go through the citations a a little bit, and the citations are all in the book too, but. What I did videos on are three different aspects: total testosterone, which decreases when you're exposed to these artificial estrogens; Um, free testosterone, of course, um, which is super important, more important than total because you know if you don't if you don't have usable testosterone, then what's the point? But then, even more interesting was the artificial estrogens; they block binding to the receptor which is a hard concept for lay people to grasp. But what I try and do is I use an analogy to hockey and cause I'm a hockey or I used to be a hockey player and, um, or maybe, yeah, I guess hockey is the best analogy. I was going to say maybe rugby or something for you, but I don't know enough about rugby to use the <laughs> analogy, but at least in hockey, right, you have a goal, you've got a goalie in front of the goal and you're trying to shoot a puck into the goal. And, you know, imagine if you put, Fifty players out on the ice to try and score the goal, but if you put a piece of plywood in front of the goal, like you completely blocked the goal mm. it does, you can 't get any points you know so literally if you 're blocking the receptor it doesn 't matter if your testosterone is massively high if it can't be if it can't be utilized and i I'm tending to call that testosterone sensitivity it 's kind of like insulin sensitivity, and that 's harder to quantify from a biohacker perspective, but it's real as well. So th- this, this is interesting. Cause it, this
1: is like, it's flat out blocking the, the effect of your testosterone. And a lot of the, um, a lot of the stuff that we talk about in terms of hormone optimization is that we're maybe like for someone who doesn't train, doesn't, doesn't lift or whatever, if they're worrying about the testosterone, which is quite a common question we get is that it's majoring in the minors in that they're trying to optimize something which, um, maybe won't have much of a a, a clinical effect on them. But in the sense of, um, and and that that was my opinion up until I, I heard some of your stuff and you were talking about the actual doses that were exposed to. And I was like, bloody hell, this is not just like changing us within the normal ranges. And I've proven for myself as well with my blood test that I was below the clinical range for testosterone and that range is meant to cover like from a eighteen year old guy up yeah, to like a seventy year old right. man. So right. it's not as if it's, like it's
2: a pathetic range. Yeah, frankly, <laughs> that's at the low end.
1: <laughs> exactly. So to be below the low end of that is like that's subnormal for a an old man. So um, it really is something that is clearly having much more of a, a an effect and measurable effect than than I thought was just kind of tweaking with minor minor stuff. And let me know if I'm wrong here, but you mentioned that. Um, the doses that, or the, the level of estrogen of estradiol that should be in someone's bloodstream normally for men or women should be 20 nanograms per deciliter. Whereas Correct. the doses that we're exposed to in a lot of these um, environmental estrogens would be the equivalent of thousands of
2: gram nanograms per deciliter. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So and it may be nanograms per, I just want to check on that. It might be nanograms per liter. Um, But yeah, you're probably right. I honestly can't remember off the top of my head because that's early. (laughs) That's fine. Yeah, 6 (laughs) a.m. But some of the different hormones, it, it gets complicated slightly because some of the different hormones, they use nanograms per liter and some they use nanograms per deciliter. And then some of them... In, in UK, especially, they completely throw all that out the window and use like nanomoles per microliter, or whatever <laughs> they use, some totally different thing. And so, when I'm consulting for people with, from Europe or Australia or UK, I get confused because they start changing the units. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, you're exactly right. Like 20 to to 400 is the range between men and women. And um, and and what I did in my book is I translated all the units to the to make it relevant to that same you know, to the estrogen units, so that when I'm talking about atrazine, which is a herbicide used in North America, you know, I was I was translating that to the same values that we think of when we're talking about estrogen, and yeah, it's right. insane, it's insane, atrazine was a perfect example, because that one was 700,000 anagrams per liter, or per deciliter, whichever one the units were for estrogen, <laughs> um, I made that way more confusing than it should be, but um, just in case somebody's fact checking us and it's <laughs> deciliter instead of liter or the other way around, you know, I just want people to know.
1: But um, regardless, because so, yeah, yeah I mean, exactly. I, I know it's 6am, but 700,000 de- per deciliter or per liter, that's a factor of 10 compared to, you know, thousands of times. Ta- so one extra zero yep. or not, it it is a very large dose of estrogen that we're, that we're getting from, um, a source that we, that we shouldn't be. And, uh, It is pretty worrying.
2: Atrazine over there, I think is still either barely used or illegal, correct?
1: In the, in Europe. Yeah, I think it is. We're we're quite lucky over (laughs) here. that We have a lot more regulation over additives to food and pesticides and that kind of thing. I'm sure there's still a lot of them, but.
2: Yeah. um, So you're in, you're having an advantage. I mean, you talk about your testosterone being low. I mean, come over to, come over here. (laughs) You really want to suppress that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Fair enough. So, um, what, what do you think is the, the impact on, on people, um, from having these, these large doses of exogenous estrogens?
2: Yeah, I think, I think the biggest thing and the kind of the culmination of my book, the reason I really was inspired to write it is the epigenetic impact. And that's a harder one to, to quantify because I, have looked into doing my epigenetics, you know, it's having it sequenced. So you can do 23 in me, right. For a hundred bucks. Mm or 80 pounds or whatever <laughs>
1: yeah
2: and uh nice you know and it, you know that's cheap it's easy it's your dna code it's great but epigenetics is interesting to me because well, i study it I, res- I literally do research on epigenetics at the Mayo clinic um currently but it because it changes right so let's say you you decided to tweak your diet it would be interesting to be able to look at certain epigenetic marks and see if you're modifying those marks but when i looked to do my epigenetic sequence it was $20,000 oh. so that's <laughs> way out of reach right and the the sad thing is we do this stuff in the lab all the time you know so but just to do it privately costs that
1: much is that the yep,
2: yeah yep. so it's way out of, it's, it's totally inaccessible but but these artificial estrogens without a doubt they impact your epigenetics and the importance of that for people is that it means it can be passed to future generations. These health problems that you're accumulating, they're like tattoos on your DNA. You literally are passing them to future offsprings, and that includes infertility. See, the
1: the the thing that I'd like to um, that I'd like to see is if you'd like you like to, to address, if you can, is like when I've mentioned some of this stuff that I'm doing, some of these blood tests, and um, the changes that I'm making, I got very much a tinfoil hat response from people being like (laughs) you sort of calm down like it can't have that much of an impact like and so on whereas what you're saying here is that there are the the doses are extremely high it's not just like oh maybe it's slightly affecting us but also that it's tattooing our dna for subsequent generations um so is is there anything that you've seen on a on the kind of measurable impact on um in terms of like how that translates into a quantifiable um, amount of change in people, whether it's physique or health or cancer rates or anything like that.
2: Oh yeah. Oh, sure. I mean, and it's, it's hard to say exactly right. Because every time you do a population based study with humans, there's so many variables, but what I can say for sure is that breast cancer in America is up 250% since 1980. Right. And that, Seems to correspond real tightly with the increase in artificial estrogen exposures that we've had. Um, You know, fertility is definitely decreasing, allergies are definitely increasing. I have all these numbers in my book, but um, obesity rates are just ridiculous. You know, it's close to 1% per year in America. Um, so we're right now. We're about forty percent. Ten years ago, we were about thirty percent. Um, twenty my years, faith. you know, as a population. I mean, it's and that's not just like overweight. That's straight up obesity. So, and and, and you know, all of these things relate back to artificial estrogen. And you know, another good example, just based on epidemiology, is suicide rates are increased in birth control users. Actually, that study was done in the UK. I think it was like twenty thousand people too. Um, I might be wrong, but, you know, as they introduced atrazine, this herbicide, this estrogenic herbicide I was mentioning before, they introduced that over in India, and suicides among farmers skyrocketed, and of course all the scientists are kind of just debating with each other because we love to debate and we love Mm -hmm. to argue and we like to be skeptical, but, I mean, come on, you know, like let's start looking at the correlation between atrazine and just the farming community, because that's where all the suicides are happening. So you get depression too, because there's estrogen receptors in your brain. And I think that's where you start, you know, as a scientist, you start looking at the activation of the receptor in cells. And like, that's what, that's the powerful argument with the lavender essential oil Mm -hmm. is that, you know, a lot of people say, well, I don't get man boobs if I, rubbing lavender essential oil right? it's like well i know but it doesn't mean it's not estrogenic you know <laughs> because in the new england journal of medicine they published a study showing case study where initially where they were just looking at a few people that had gynecomastia man boobs and then they removed lavender from all their personal care products and their their man boobs went away and you could say well that's just a few people but then they followed that up in that same research paper looking at cells the estrogen receptor activation and sure enough, it's activating the estrogen. <clears throat> and that's, you that, know. That's
1: what's fascinating, because there, there is both a mechanistic explanation for it, as well as, like, empirical um, evidence. You know, you, you took away the, the lavender, and it reduced the man boobs. And so, I think, yeah, the, the argument of, like, oh, well, I didn't get man boobs, is it, quite is quite weak when it's like, well, you ask those same people, would you take the contraceptive pill for fun, then? Would you just take yeah. estrogen <laughs> for a laugh? Um, because it doesn't do anything. Like, well... No, probably not. So the answer is, like I, you know, you don't want excess estrogen in your body, whether you're a male or female, I suppose. Um, it's interesting right. as well, you said about the allergies too. Is that is that something that's related to estrogen?
2: Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, all these artificial estrogens. What, what's, what I started realizing when I was researching this was, uh, you know, the health impacts from artificial estrogen usually reflect some dysfunction of high natural estrogen, right? So where do you see high natural estrogen in a pregnant woman, right? Mm -hmm. So women, they'll be, you know, 20 to 400 um, nanograms per deciliter, but then when they get pregnant, it shoots up over a thousand. And what do you see? Well, you see some fat gains, let's be honest. And that's not a bad thing because if a woman is pregnant, The fetus needs energy if she can't find nutrition, which is historically a normal thing, you know, in certain cases, not anymore. But, you know, maybe our ancestors, they couldn't find nutrition. You need that fat. That's the most efficient storage form of energy. Um, You know, so there's a lot of different physiological changes that you see in pregnancy. And then when you look at artificial estrogens, sure enough, you see the fat gains. Sure enough, you see the hormone imbalance. Sure enough, you see infertility because it acts on your on your, uh, you know, your sex organs, and then depression and, and, and allergies because when you're pregnant, um, you know, those hormones are acting on your brain. So you hear of post, you know, when after women have babies, oftentimes they have depression because the hormones get off balance. But then also the uh, the allergies. Scientists say that estrogen is immunostimulative and immunosuppressive, which of course doesn't really make sense. Mm-hmm you're stimulating the immune system and you're suppressing it at the same time but that's what we find in studies i mean in research and how that translates is when a woman is pregnant her body cannot eat the fetus you can't destroy the fetus right so you have to suppress your immune system but at the same time you have to actively fight infections that are coming from the outside even more than ever so that's an interesting thing and i again i don't remember the different population-based studies and this and that but Allergies are definitely linked to all sorts of these different artificial. It seems like whenever they investigate BPA or phthalates or atrazine or whatever, on and how it affects the immune system, you always see the spike in allergies.
1: That's interesting, and and like the suicides as well. I suppose like maybe something for people to be aware of that estrogen is like it's not just the female hormone. There's such a multi-system impact, I guess, because it's Mm -hmm. so it's Mm -hmm. so high up on the on the chain of or the cascade of physiological events that come downstream that yes, it fills a, a physiological function within a pregnant woman and within women's menstrual menstrual cycles, but to be just ramping it up randomly almost is, uh, is pretty scary. Um, yeah. And I, I'm also, I'm glad that you're kind of the, the forefront of this movement because um, as you said, things like the introducing atrazine, spike in suicides with farmers. And then the producers trying to be like, Oh no, that's nothing to do with the atrazine. Don't worry about that. Like there's, I mean, of course there's a financial incentive to keep it going, but also, um, I suppose with anything you mentioned that there is a delay between something having a risk and finding out what that impact is. And, um, you know, maybe we'll all find out that, um, holding these devices close to our heads, every day is is going to have some impact in 20 years time, but it'll all be too late and we'll all die off of it or something. But, but yeah, like, I guess the fact is that like, there is a delay between something happening and being, being a policy change and Mm. you are putting together the evidence and realizing that actually maybe these things do warrant some further investigation. We have some of the data already to be able to, um, to make some changes, but it, it must feel like people are just not, um, not hearing you or the, or that it's not um the, not not that you're being suppressed like I'm not you know saying it's the illuminati are trying to but but there is um almost a resistance to accept some of this evidence
2: sometimes yeah and it's funny because most people they sort of um just sweep it under the rug initially but Usually when I talk, like when I give talks or even podcasts like this, then people start to wake up a little bit. And they say, okay, I see what he's saying. Let me check out his book or something like that. And then they really get it, you know. Mm -hmm. And then they're recommending it. They're recommending to their doctor friends and all this sort of thing. You know, that's that's a big demographic, actually, of my book right now is among doctors. I keep hearing about, like, I keep getting people come to me and they say, my doctor recommended this book. Really? yeah, and that's a good that's a good place to start from my perspective. But, I, but in the UK, I'm sure the feeling is totally different.
1: I, I think so, but like maybe maybe I've got a bias because I I tend to tune out anyone who I think is a kind of um, weirdy weirdy <laughs> sort of um, hippie type that has a has an agenda that doesn't. Agenda, seem yep. yeah. But when okay. I saw your stuff, like you, you're you very much based in the evidence, and um, you know the, the fact that you, you you are a researcher at the Mayo Clinic, you've got no particular um, Agenda per se.
2: Um, yeah, no, no, and I try to keep it that way. I mean, I intentionally don't let companies sponsor me for anything, you know. And I have a recommendation page on my website where I I just say here's the personal care products I use. Yeah, right? I saw
1: that. And I was like, and yeah, yeah, and, 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 and it's like, hey,
2: you don't have to, you don't have to use those, you know. Like, I don't care. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you what I use. Cause I'm tired of getting emails that say, what do you use for this? What do you use for that? And you know, and it's good because I do some research on that. You know, I do investigate that for my own family. So it's like, well, let me throw this out there. So, so yeah, appreciate that. I appreciate cool. the recognition though. Oh, <laughs> Somebody well, recognizes that's a good thing.
1: <laughs> well, that, that, I think that's it. That, um, when, when it comes from someone like yourself, who is so deep in the evidence and not, not just, uh, cause it, Obviously there's a lot of, um, and it, it, unfortunately it makes, it makes a lot of these, um, new movements in health reduce their credibility when you see the person that's pushing it and you're like, this guy is just paranoid of the Western healthcare system in general. And therefore, you know, I've seen someone say it was a fitness professional. He was like, going to a hospital is the worst place you could ever go if you're ill, because look at all the people that die in hospital. You're like... Hmm. maybe they, they, they die for another reason in hospital but, but yeah so like um, yeah. The, something I wanted to ask you Anthony is uh, so we've got these these doses these very high um, equivalent doses of, of uh, estrogen in the environmental products how do you then quantify the impact of them on human bloodstream
2: so you mentioned yeah, things that's, like that's,
1: um, detergent wearing clothes that have been washed with detergent
2: for example yep yep um usually it's it's really difficult especially for lay people in the lab it's not so difficult but like for a lay person it's pretty much impossible you can't measure phthalates in your blood you can't measure bpa there's no like conventional test you can just ship away or some blood to and they'll just tell you your numbers um in the lab we can totally do that i can Get some blood from you, you, you. I can look at your BPA levels, and that's what we do in the research, and that's what I base most of my evidence on. Are those types of studies? Because I mean, that's that's what I have, right? So there's that. There's straight up blood levels, and then um, and then. So what you have to do is you have to you have to look at those research studies. Number one, but then also you, for the biohacker like yourself, who is just personally interested in kind of keeping track. I think what you're doing is exactly right. You have to go with the testosterone because natural estrogen levels, they oftentimes don't change with these artificial estrogen exposures. You'd think they would, but it's kind of a complex system. It's hard to predict. Even testosterone is hard to predict. Um, so but that- testosterone is usually the best metric. Okay. For late people. And so
1: your, your, estradiol, your est- estrogen levels in the blood won't change is that because the the xenoestrogens the the artificial ones don't they 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 interact with the receptor but they don't show up on the blood test as estrogen
2: correct yeah right yeah because these even even like for example when you're looking at olympic athletes and they're doping testosterone right or they're doing some kind of steroid doping what they do when they're in the organic chemistry labs is they make a testosterone molecule but then they slightly change it so that it it sneaks past these, you know, these anti doping agency uh, tests. And I mean they look these molecules look really similar to estrogen, but they're tiny changes and then boom, they can't detect it. So those those hormones, you know, their their subtle changes will just eliminate them from being detected on these tests because the tests are so darn sensitive, which is a good thing. I mean we're measuring nanograms here and that's a hard thing to do.
1: Mm.
2: But again in the lab it's not that hard our technology is phenomenal and i can take i can take dryer sheets throw a bunch of clothes in the dryer put them on somebody and actually measure and people have done this there's papers you can measure the increase in uh uh, benzophenone which is a sunscreen chemical that they oftentimes use and then you can measure an increase in phthalates you know from the perfumes and that's that's the, that's a powerful problem, you know. Like that's a that's an indication that we've got a problem when you start spiking your blood. So these will show
1: positively on the blood on the blood test. So presumably oh, yeah. things oh, yeah. like phthalates, benzothenones, BPA, these are all uh, they they're getting into our bloodstream
2: and. They're- oh yeah, yeah. In fact, they did a study with perfume users, for example, um, pregnant women, of course, because that was a target audience that they're most concerned about. But mm.
1: um, for the teratogenic. And-
2: Effects so like the birth defect well, risk. Yeah, that and and usually when you expose, at least in animal models, when you expose them to artificial estrogens, when they're pregnant is when when you see the longest term changes in future generations. So if you're exposed as a fetus, all those stem cells get messed up, and it's not it's more predictable. You know, if you're exposed as, a, as an adult, it's not as bad, frankly, because your sperm cells might not get blasted <laughs> <I>
0: see. <laughs> and
2: your epi- and your epigenetic marks might not change at all, or they might change less dramatically in your sperm cells. And then you pass those on to future generations and you, you don't see it. it. It's harder to predict, but when you're in the womb, right, all those stem cells seem to get impacted. And, uh, you know, what was I going to say? What was the point? I was, what so were we the, talking about? Before? How
1: do these things get into the bloodstream and, and do they remain there? Um, so I
2: suppose, yeah. um, oh, I was going to say, oh, I was just going to mention this one study, right? They were, they were measuring pregnant women and perfume users had almost 200% more phthalates in their blood compared to non-perfume users. Um, so, I mean, they study this all the time and it's, there's just such a connection between these personal care products with phthalates. When, when you say you have 200% more phthalates, that means
1: the other people, they yeah. must've been getting phthalates in their blood from some other oh, source. Yeah.
2: Oh, for sure, and but it's that's not an problem. organic
1: compound. It's not something that
2: no, yeah, yeah, and and you you never find people with zero, frankly, you know, you wow, just okay. don't. And they they've tried, right? Like, there's a group of st- scientists that went up to northern Alaska <laughs> looking for tribes of people to get blood from and to get fat tissue and all this. And I mean, that's what they did. They, that's what they ended up doing. And they were trying to look at breast cancer cells and get this, Yusuf, because you're a scientist. You recognize you've probably even done some rotations in labs, presumably. Mm-hmm. Um, what really drives me insane <laughs> is when you're doing research in labs, all right, let's say I take some of your cells, right? It's called primary culture. If I take, literally take cells from you, put them in a dish with some liquid and grow those cells. Now, they often change when they're in a dish because they're no longer signaling with other cells, right? And so you usually want to do experiments real quick after you take them out of a person, right in those primary cells but most people don't most people grow them for a long time a couple weeks you know and they start to morph and change but it is what it is that's just one of the difficulties with scientific research on cells but um what's nutty is you're growing those cells in plastic dishes number one yeah I i was gonna ask about that but oh yeah yeah and and then number two, you're storing the liquid. So you have this artificial blood, right, that mm-hmm. you grow the cells in because you can't just sit them there in the dry air or they're going to die. So you have this stuff. It's got sugar. It's got amino acids. It's got all these vitamins, you know, that the cells need. They call it minimal essential media. They call it M-E-M. And anyways, um, the crazy thing to me is... I mean, number one, we're growing all, all the cells in sugar, you know, for the most part. Most of them barely have any fats, you know, this tiniest minimal amount of fats, but then they have like 25 millimolar of glucose, which is like fivefold more than you, you would ever have in your bloodstream. So, number one, we're selecting and studying cells that are practically diabetic. Uh, okay. <laughs> and then we're making conclusions based on that. But then number two, which is even worse, we're growing them in plastic, the liquid that we grow them in is stored in plastic, and then the uh, we put in this. R- most scientists, not myself. If you look at my my research publications, you'll see I grow my cells in uh, phenol-free media. Oh, but right. most scientists put a red dye in their in their media in the in the liquid they grow it's so the cells in. So hard to it's avoid, so- isn't it? It's just. Like- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but
1: yeah, presumably, yeah, and, and- um, when they're doing comparisons, they would they would control for like the the baseline level of whatever. Stuff is coming from the plastics.
2: Um, yeah, well, the problem. The the diff- or the, Well, the difficulty is that let's say you took cells out of your body, right? Let's say you were looking at stem cells, adipose-derived mesenchymal stem cells, right? Mm. MSCs. So you take you take a liposuction, you take you spin out the stem cells, you put them on a dish, you grow them for a week, and then you do some kind of a study. Like let's say we add lavender oil to those cells, right? Mm-hmm. And then we've got a little group of them that don't get exposed to lavender oil and a little group that do. And that's interesting. And then we look at the the epigenetic marks that are changing. You know, a few specific ones that maybe are pretty well characterized in the research. Well, what's crazy is that because you're growing the cells in so much estrogen, you're what you usually are doing is you're killing the cells that aren't that aren't estrogen hardy, that aren't that can't adapt to that estrogen level. You just straight up kill those cells. So then you end up basically studying estrogen sensitized cells does that make sense yeah I see and then you add lavender essential oil and you compare it to a group of est- another group of already estrogen sensitized cells and yeah you see a difference but I it's it blunted it? so you're you're kind of blunting the response by growing the cells in all these estrogen chemicals to begin with and and that's a that's a struggle because you know, I've approached a, a lab at the Mayo Clinic I was collaborating with, with st- doing stem cell research. And we were looking at osteoarthritis um, because we inject these stem cells back into joints sometimes. And, uh, and this was just like within this last year here. And there's a, there's a paper, you, your audience can look it up. It's a cool paper. It's, it's something about osteoarthritis is caused by estrogen-related receptor activation. It's caused, you know, and that's a big, strong word in science. You have to show gain of function. You have to show loss of function. How mm. that both of those things um, will f- literally cause the the impact. In this case, osteoarthritis, joint inflammation.
1: Is this part of um, the reason you think that it's more prevalent in women?
2: Oh yeah, or, yeah. Right, okay. it's, two, it's at least two or threefold more found in women, including arthrofibrosis, fi- the scar tissue in the joints. Women have um, not got much going that's for them exactly.
1: with osteoarthritis,
2: osteoporosis, <laughs> like all this stuff. Breast cancer, yeah. Well, men too, because we're dropping our testosterone, and that's having systemic changes. I mean, it's a lowering our lifespan, you know. And for one,
1: so you you were saying about the, the tribesmen when they, they tried to take blood levels from yeah. really remote yeah. tribesmen, and I'm guessing you were going to say they they have more. They still
2: have phthalates yeah, available. They still have phthalates, Yeah, thanks for bringing it back. Oh, <laughs> well, so, and, and as you, you probably saw in my book, the polar bears even have them. It's, it's ridiculous. So, like, even the most remote
1: animals and things. Yeah. So, so basically, like, we're getting um, the, these thing, it, is that these things. that Do they remain in the bloodstream because we don't have an endogenous way to process these chemicals, and so they just kind of stick around?
2: It's a big problem, yeah, compared to, like, soy, right? A lot of people argue about soy, including scientists. Some of them... Think it's just fine some of them think it's beneficial some of them think it's harmful i'm, I'm i tend to think that it's a negative thing to have a lot of soy mm-hmm. but at least at least your gut bacteria have seen the phytoestrogen the plant estrogens and they know how to deal with them and some of the breakdown products of those phytoestrogens can actually be healthy um, and that's where you get a lot of discrepancy it's like well what's your gut bacteria status you know if you're right. studying anti-estrogen but if you start studying phthalate that gets all thrown out the window who cares what your gut bacteria looks like because it's th- they've never seen phthalates, you know, they don't know what the hell. And, and with the polar bears, you know, it's up, it's working up the food chain as you know, you know, so you get them in the fish, you get them in the minnows, they get up in the bigger fish, et cetera, in the seals. And they've done so it studies. More and more seals.
1: concentrated each time it goes up. And it gets in the
2: fat.
0: Yep. And so, it stores in the
1: fat. So the concern here is that like these polar bears are, they're not doing, they're not getting in cars every day, you know, at least at least not to my knowledge. Um Um, filling up, you know, (laughs) being exposed to petrol and receipts and vinyl floors and that kind of thing. And they're still getting some access to it. Um, How much of the exposure to estrogen that we're getting is environmental? So um, how much is stuff that's just unavoidable unless we went and tried to live like totally off grid? And how much is like within our own control? And um, because what I'd like to really pin down is whether... The environmental impact and the environmental exposure that we get from stuff like, you know, pollutants and that kind of thing that we just can't escape. Mm. Is that so great that we are pissing in the wind by trying to modify our use of cosmetics and things? Or can the things that we do ourselves still have an impact and still protect us to an extent? Does that make sense?
2: Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. And that's a great question. So I'm I'm friends with a guy named Dr. Michael Skinner. He gave a TED Talk, something about ancestral ghosts in your genome, I think it's called. And it's a great TED Talk. Um, it's about epigenetics. He studies epigenetics of estrogen chemicals and some other chemicals too. But he literally grows about 5,000 mice at any given time. I mean, that's a huge colony of mice. Mm. And and he does multi-generational studies with the mice.
1: What a monster, right?
2: <laughs> yeah. which is, well, It's such needed research. Yeah. And he, he is... Super pessimistic about these these effects. He basically says we're all screwed. You know, at least at least over lunch with me personally, I don't think he's saying that publicly too much. But then, what was really funny is his daughter is about in her twenties and she's pregnant, and he literally bought her a five thousand dollar whole house filtration system for her water. (laughs) And it's like, well, if you think we're all screwed, great gift. you're you're really yeah i mean he's like really serious about avoiding and honestly i don't even tell people to go that extreme you know i I mean just filter the water you're drinking you Mm -hmm. know like i mean yeah a little bit's going to get in your skin from the shower or something like that but i think there's a huge difference between like these ones we're breathing in the air from plastics and yeah that's a concern you know there's literally a paper that's published that um talks about childcare facilities in california you know you've probably seen these kind of places it's just plastic everywhere it's like plastic pads on the floor plastic slides so plastic <laughs> I, i've
1: just come back from thailand um i, I did yeah. a, a medical placement there and they mm. love plastic there like you'd order a takeaway <laughs> and it would be yeah. in eight layers of plastic like and you yeah. have the sauces in little bag and the drinks would even be in you know everything was just So, and it makes me wonder, I I don't know whether there's any epidemiological data that looks at um, effects of estrogen on Thai people or on countries that use a lot of plastic compared to those that don't, but um, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah,
2: sometimes, Yeah. usually what you have to do is just, you have to just use your own common sense. You know, you're probably not going to find that specific study, but then you have to just look at breast cancer rates in the last 10 years as the estrogen, you know, has ramped up or the artificial estrogen use. So that's what I generally do, but for the, in those cases, but yeah, it's super frustrating. And, and there's papers that talk about just the breathing it in the air at these childcare facilities, but honestly, like most of the time, that's not really the impact that's, that you have to worry about. It's, you know, it's the drinking water, it's the cosmetics, those are the big ones. Um, it's the storing stuff, the food in plastic. And people ask me, well, what about a sandwich? Right? It's like you don't have to worry about a sandwich, it's dry. There's no there's no exchange of estrogen into a sandwich for the most part. I mean, maybe the tiniest tiniest bit, but I mean come on, you know, like I suppose you've got to get go the to, highest yield stuff though, don't you? So you have to. Exactly. And um, that's what I tried to do in my book, as you probably know. I mean, I'd set up a gold level plan, a bronze level plan a silver gold, silver, bronze plans for different people that maybe if you're on like a super if you're on a college student budget, yeah, you don't have to go crazy you just take the bronze old plan, get the big ones out of your life. And that's even easier over in the UK because in America, I mean, it's a lot more headache. Yeah. Which was well, what
1: I love about the way you've, you structured it. Cause it is just so actionable. Um, and I'd love to cover some of that in, in a moment, but, um, yeah, cause I, I've, I've made a few substitutions myself, which I'll post in an article and link back to this, um, to this interview as well. Um, do you think there is, much of an if- so, most people listening to this lift weights, they're physique conscious. Do you think that there is a benefit to be gained from in your physique or at least in your gym performance from oh, yeah. making some of these changes?
2: Yeah, in fact, you know, there's a gene I look at when I do DNA consulting that's involved in estrogen breakdown. The most consistent one is a CYP1B1 gene, um, that's a liver enzyme involved in breaking down estrogen. A lot of people have. Um, a specific SniP that you know just kind of makes that enzyme less than optimal, and so they don't break down estrogen and then those people, I tell them you get real serious about estrogen artificial estrogen avoidance because you really see consistent gain issues in the gym with those people I mean way more than other people, and most of them already kind of know that they struggle with it there's usually there's two genes that I look at when I do athletic. You know, I, I I do UFC fighters, I do professional baseball players, all these different professional athlete, you know, athletes for DNA consulting, and there's two genes I'm looking. Estrogen, how is your body getting rid of it? I mean, maybe some testosterone genes, but also IGF, IGF-1, because a lot of people have a genetic disposition to lower IGF-1 levels, and that's real predictable, and those people also struggle with putting on the gains. They really do. And in, in my experience... And that's okay because it leads to the greater longevity usually, but at least you want to know, is it, is it IGF one related or is it estrogen related? Because those are two different. You want to approach those differently. If you're, if you're struggling with gains and you want to put the gains on.
1: Right. Okay. And so, so I suppose once you've identified the pathway and in, I guess in most cases there is something to be gained from or that, or there is at least some elevated estrogen exposure with people, if it's kind of almost, yeah, unanimous, then, if someone were to make those changes, would what would they be able to expect to see changes typically, or would it very much depend on whether they have the CYPY one
2: gene? Yeah, know? well, well, if they have the CYP issue, I just tell them be more extreme than most people. You know, don't mess around with soy and all this. I mean, you can have fermented soy; it doesn't matter. But you know, I just tell them be more extreme because okay. for most people i think they need to relax a little bit they get a little bit too like with the bpa on the receipts and things i think is going a little bit too far but you know if you're working with receipts that's a different story but like you know i, mean, I see but i, I don't suppose, want people like, to get too get too hypochondriac you know where they're just thinking about it all the time
1: well but, yeah, i heard someone say worrying about your cortisol is, is the surest way to increase your cortisol but
2: um, <laughs> that's awesome yeah, but, but you know, but I think the big ones, right? Like those are going to decrease everyone's gains. If you're drinking water out of plastic pitchers all the time in plastic bottles, I don't care if it says BPA free or not, you're getting BPS, bisphenol S. There was just a study last week that came out on that, you know, saying that it's it's causing multi generational problems. There's other studies that show so BPS. So annoying, just,
1: like because yeah, yeah <laughs> you think you're doing well by being like, oh yes, it's BPA free, and then you're like, oh, I'm just getting screwed from some other. Form yep. <laughs> just as bad so right. and and i suppose from what you said like these things it still is enough to seep into what we're taking into our bodies and to affect blood levels and it's not clearing as effectively as um just because our livers don't have a natural way of,
2: of yeah. clearing them yeah. and it's um, a vicious cycle it's a vicious cycle too before we go on because you know if you're storing these you store these in your fat cells right mm-hmm. and that's what most scientists underestimate is they forget but they do toxicity studies and say, this is the dose that kills cells. Well, number one, I don't care what kills cells because we're changing epigenetic marks. That's a long-term change. That's slow. It's super low level. It's, you know, comparable to our body's uh, hormone levels. But then number two, um, you know, yeah, it's not toxic. But then, um, uh, what's I going to say? Um, the, uh, it'll,
1: it'll, it'll come the to the me. The scientists then. were saying that it, it it kills cells, but you're more interested
2: in this vicious cycle of them. Oh, yeah. yeah. So they bioaccumulate. Right. And that's completely overlooked by scientists is like, you know, they're storing in your fat. So they continue to signal to, to, to your cells to store more fat. It's, so it's a difficult <laughs> cycle to break out of. And then number two is they all are at or number three, I guess. they are they're additive. Right. So if you if you've got the lavender essential oil and then you add the phthalates and then you add the parabens and then you add the BPS and the BPA. <laughs> right. And they're all acting in the same way. But then a scientist comes along and just studies BPS, bisphenol S, or BPA by itself. And then they try and make that kind of the big poster child of estrogen or artificial estrogen. It's like, no, you're forgetting that there's, there's 10 other ones that are also in pretty much everybody. And they're, because they're acting on that same receptor and that same system, you know, I mean, and, and just to give people a practical thing, hit the sauna. Like the sauna will accelerate your estrogen. It, it, you sweat. They've done skin patch studies. Have you ever seen these? Like the studies? No. Oh, they're great. They, I did a couple of YouTube videos on these too. Um, skin patch, like where they, it's like a nicotine patch without the nicotine. Put them on groups of people that either aren't in saunas or are in saunas, and they find that people sitting in saunas are just loading up those patches with BP, They're sweating out BPA and phthalates. That's cool. and est- yeah, so that's a great way to remove it. And it even insane. exercise, like just lifting heavy. Moves your blood, gets your metabolism going, your, increases your muscles, which increase your hormone balance. You know, so that's a positive vicious cycle in the sense that as you gain more, you balance more. I see. And, I mean, there's so many other benefits to sauna
1: as well. I don't know if you saw the yeah. the little yeah. review that, is it Rhonda Patrick posted recently? Yeah.
2: It, well, she's always, she's it, non-stop posting. I on up.
1: There's a Ronda something who's a UFC fighter. In
2: a, yeah. um, oh, Ronda Rousey. No, oh, no, okay. Ronda, Patrick, Ronda Patrick. Ronda Patrick. Is, <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's the sauna. But Yari Laukanen is the researcher over in Scandinavia. He's the one that did the 20-year study that showed all-cause mortality decreases with sauna use. And you've got so to at cool. least be in it 10 minutes, 10 to 20 minutes. However. Um, three, three times a week.
1: Yeah, so it's quite a decent hit of sauna, but... Um, I mean, okay. it's not an unpleasant thing to do at all. It's, it's lo- pretty lovely. But okay. someone someone mentioned that there are certain, um, maybe I'm getting down the rabbit hole here, Anthony, but there's like a okay. certain um, <laughs> glues and adherence that they use to stick the wood in saunas that also it can be estrogenic. And so you really need to use a sauna that's been nailed together rather than glued. Hmm. And I don't
2: Could know. If true. We- oh, I mean, and there's probably, well, at least with that, because there's so much heat, if there is estrogens, I mean, you certainly don't want a plastic sauna, right? Mm. And some people do believe me. They get these single person home use saunas yeah. that are plastic. It's, it's people email me this stuff all the time. But um, at least if you've got some glue or something like that, you know, the heat is going to dissipate a lot of that after a couple after a couple weeks. Or it's just like having a new car or something. You know, it smells like phthalates initially. It's got that plastic smell. And by the way, we're kind of attracted to that smell. Let's be honest, right? Yeah. Smell like of triggers so many people I know love the smell of petrol. So yeah, some of those. Well, even more so the new car smell, right? Because those yeah. those phthalates and parabens actually trigger something in our brain that says, "Ooh, you know, estrogen." <laughs> and like, we don't, we can't quite communicate it, or we don't quite, we can't quite put our finger on it. But I think there's a biological response there as well.
1: It's annoying. And you were saying that they're in so many perfumes, but they disguise yeah. it under the label of parfum. And right. if you've ever read the labels of something and it says Parfum and you think like, Hmm, I wonder what that is, but you said it's just where they hide because they, they can have their proprietary
2: blends and not Definitely. have to declare what's in it. Yeah. And and what they do, I just, I literally was at a winery two weekends ago, um, just helping pick grapes just for the hell of it. Cause I thought it was cool. And, uh, I was one of the people in our group was a professional organic chemist from California who works with corporations. It's like the worst person for me to to, <laughs> to sit next to picking grapes because of course I'm going to say, well, what about four methyl camphor? You know, like <laughs> why are you putting that in your sunscreen? And, they, and she does, she knew right what that is. But, it, um, so we're talking about all the health problems <laughs> from her job that she's creating. Oh, and, no. um, <laughs> but, she, uh, um, you know, we were talking about this this thing with the phthalates in the perfume, and what they ar- argue, what these scientists argue is it carries the perfume farther in the air. That's why they use that. In reality, it's because it's cheaper. It's just a cheap filler. Right. But what they tell you is that it carries, and it, and it does, you can prove that it actually carries a little bit farther in the air, but I mean, come on, who cares if somebody smells you from a foot away, like an additional foot? <laughs> you know? But that's what they do, you know.
1: Ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it does seem like the, the odds are so stacked against us that it's, it's pretty scary.
0: Hey, Johnny here. Just a really quick interruption to this episode to let you know about a resource we now have up and running on propinfitness.com. One of the most popular questions we get from readers and listeners is, hey guys, what would you recommend for my starting calories for fat loss and muscle gain? How much protein, carbs, fat? How many calories should I eat to begin my journey as a starting point? Normally, this is something that we do for clients when they come into our program, Appropriate Protocol. But recently, we have opened up the calculator that we use for all of our clients so that you can get a free calculation, a free starting point of what we would recommend if you were to start as a client with us for your protein, carbs, fats and calories overall for either fat loss or muscle gain customized to you and your goal you Want to get access to that? It is totally free. You just have to go to propinfitnesscom forward slash calculator, enter your information, and we will send your macros and your calorie recommendations to that email address. And we'll also send you a few free resources over email just to pad that out and ensure that you have the best possible chances of reaching your goals in fat loss and muscle gain. Hope you enjoy the rest of this episode. Um,
1: can you talk a bit about your own experience? Like, what, first of all, I suppose, what got you into this research? And also, I'd imagine, you know, because you, you have the list of the things that you use yourself. <clears throat> did you notice any changes in your day-to-day experience, your physique, um, your how you felt, any of those things from making those substitutions?
2: Oh, yeah. Well, for me, it was a lot more gradual than most people, you know, uh, because I was learning as, as I went through college, as I went through my PhD. I did my PhD on hormones you know and fats and cholesterol all these kinds of things um so for me it was too gradual to really notice um but i definitely get testimonials from people like i had a guy he's he wrote a blog about how he changed his testosterone increased 290 percent when he and of course he's an american so he's got a lot more gains to be made here because we have so many more estrogens um but but yeah i mean I we'll definitely have to find the link for that and post it in the show notes as well. Oh yeah, you should. His name is Gabe and uh you know, he he uh I, I can't I think his website is ancient grains. Um and if you search that, I bet you it'll come up with 200 with the 290%. Cool. Yeah, and, and um but yeah, I mean I get that all the time. Most people don't write a blog on it mm-hmm. or you know, or if they do, I don't ever see it. But anyways, um yeah, so I, I personally, really, I didn't notice that big of a difference, but I'm just so convinced, just based on the biological evidence, and I've got kids, right? I've got four kids, so yeah. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna mess around and, and try and you know <laughs> wonder about this one or that one. I just, like I say, if I see it, I get rid of it. If in the, if the science is really clear about it, I mean that's why they're making these sunscreens illegal, uh, uh, you know, in Hawaii. And in Australia, coming up, and and they just did it for Jamaica, you know. And it's not sunscreen in general, but it's sunscreen containing oxybenzone, which is one of the benzophenone molecules, um, because they're estrogenic and they're killing off coral reef populations, you know. Right, so that kind of thing. It's like, yeah, you're not going to notice that your fertility is zero, you know, and, and unless you're really getting in the in the fertility clinics and all this, but. But it's gonna, it can sneak, that kind of thing will sneak up on you, it'll catch you. I see. So in your case, it was kind of quite
1: gradual, but I guess you've worked with athletes, you've worked with people that um, send yep. you testimonials, and a lot of them might come into it the same route that I have and, and Johnny has, which is like, we discover your stuff, we're like, right, we're going to just test dropping all this stuff, follow the, you know, the gold, silver, or bronze plan, and then retest or at least notice what happens in our bodies. Um, what's the typical thing that you see people um, say in the testimonials?
2: I, well, I've literally seen people go from infertility to fertility, but over the course of like a year, right? Because wow, my okay. book is published about a year. I mean, and uh, the biggest one is testosterone, though, because that one is so quantifiable. I so, like I like to see people do what you do. And I don't know what your numbers are. I'm still curious. We should yeah, tell I'll, you. Um, shit. I'll you get should. them if you want. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I have no idea because, like I said, in the UK, it's hard. And I don't. I don't, uh, you know, for people, I don't want people to think they are definitely one hundred percent going to increase their testosterone if they eliminate their estrogens because some people do and some people don't. Oh, there you go. Um, so, so just to read and, out for the
1: readers, um, everything yep. was in the normal range apart from free testosterone, which is well below the normal, um, and sex hormone binding globulin was very high. high. Um, right.
2: This was the pre. This was the pre-test. Pre-test. Yeah. yeah. Or, or before removing artificial estrogens. Yeah. Um, and then estradiol.
1: So estrogen was in the normal range, but as, as Anthony mentioned earlier on, it wouldn't necessarily show up as estrogen. It might show up as well. It's more likely as it has is sex hormone binding globulin, which is not something yep. that we want to be, to be high. So yeah, yep. I'll, I'll follow up in, in, um, another eight weeks time as to what the, what the difference has been. um, do you see anyone talk about things? That, so, you, oh, so
2: you, wait. So you haven't you haven't done the the, the next test? Yet. I haven't done the post test. No, no, so I'm still. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but I thought you were going to reveal on the air and then say oh, you know, like, it's this or that. <laughs> no, continued. that's cool. Well, that, well, that's exciting. Now I have to like really pay attention. Oh
1: yeah. Well, when when it's when it's uh, complete, I'll I'll add a little edit to this podcast or put it in the show notes to of the the before and after. But um, I guess you you getting people claim so increases in testosterone, but also. Um, anything about the downstream effects of testosterone so things like um, body composition sex drive that kind of thing yeah
2: yeah for sure even depression Um, and you know my my following isn't massive you know I don't have one of these giant followings and I'm not interested in having a giant following although you know it's mostly because I do research in a lab you know as a full-time job and then I go home and I do DNA consulting (laughs) you know i'm not a super present person on social medias platforms and i don't spend a lot of time on it i was just with a bodybuilder down in florida you know pre mr olympia they just had mr olympia recently mm-hmm. and the guy i was working out with i was literally doing in between sets i was working out with the guy that got second place there um in the 212 category his name is You know, I was going through the estrogen stuff with these guys, and we've already done this in the past, but, um, you know, uh, there's such a difference between, obviously, that level of person, you know, and then just, like, the average guy, and, and then it's like it's like anything else you know like the 80-20 principle when you first do something and you're just blasted with artificial estrogen you're going to have that 80 pr- you're going to have a lot bigger or even if you've never worked out right and then you go to the gym you're going to have this explosion of gains yeah but then if you've if you've already kind of gotten past that point and you're already kind of plateauing yeah you're going to have to work for those those gains and it, you know, I think there's like the different, that's like the more advanced stage, but this
1: is all of- the more reason that, you know, if, if someone's in that position, they're working, That they're just getting incremental gains at this point, but there's so much low hanging fruit with estrogen. Yeah. Um, then yeah. Like, you, you know, stop getting blasted from it. Yeah. Maybe you're still getting some exposure from some stuff, but as you said, like if you, I mean, you drink, I like I, I need to get a water filter. Cause that's the one thing I haven't done in your list. Um, because, yeah, like the one thing that you always drink every day and loads of it is water, and so um yeah. it would make sense to to use that as um one of the things to to get a handle on um so that 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 is pretty interesting then so the, so there can't the, there has been people that have been able to elicit some improvement from doing the doing the recommendations in uh, in the book oh, um, sure. yeah. what are your thoughts on zinc?
2: yeah I mean i mean I, I've seen the studies usually you have to uh, what's the supplement where they combine it with something it's
1: magnesium uh, aspartate
2: yeah, those are the two you know I mean and of course that was probably some biased research because uh, Victor Conte was the guy that developed ZMA mm
1: mm-hmm which it's is the proprietary blend. It was just like a... a, a oh, pretty
2: much, yeah. Yeah. But, but he's, he's the one that spearheaded a lot of those studies that showed that those increased testosterone, and that's pretty slight increase. But what's really ironic with testosterone is a lot of the micronutrients... Of course, you would assume... Like, oh, it's a micronutrient that's going to increase my testosterone. A lot of them decrease testosterone or they've never been studied, which is wacky, right? It's like, oh, how really? easy of a study is that to just throw some micronutrient? <laughs> and, and, and of course, if you've got a supreme deficiency in any micronutrient, you're going to have low testosterone from that. But, uh, you know, assuming you're somewhat normal, ha- just increasing it above that level or having really high levels... It actually can lower testosterone in a lot of cases with these with these various metals, especially. Um, and then the research gets iffy there because, and this is true of estrogen, too, so this is relevant. Like, it may, manganese is a good example, right? And, um, like, because Tim Ferriss especially made it popular that manganese increases testosterone, which it does. Mm-hmm. But if you take it consistently at, in a, in a, at a high dose, it actually ends up lowering your testosterone below what it was to start oh, with. Oh, really? Yeah, he's because he's on selenium receptor. as well, isn't he? Um, selenium, yeah, exactly. But, uh, That's what I, I think I meant to say. Selenium, because manganese. Yeah, yeah. I,
1: <clears throat> I think manganese is. Um, you know, you mentioned about saunas before. I <clears throat> heard a really cool case study about a guy who he was one of the um, firefighters that did part of the cleanup after nine eleven, and he developed a, uh, a Parkinsonian tremor, or what appeared to be uh, a Parkinsonian one. And, uh, he did this sauna protocol where he took lots of, I think it was vitamin B6. Um, mm. is that, that's the one that causes the flush and the, the vi- visidilation. I well anyway, some B vitamin and did sauna multiple days in a row and his towel was soaked. It was like covered in this kind of purple, um, residue when he wiped off his mm. sweat and wow. they tested it and it was manganese and then his tremor stopped. And so it, what must've happened or the hypothesized was that during the cleanup, he'd inhaled a lot of the heavy metals from the construction. Sure. um, Oh yeah. And caused this kind of neurotoxicity.
2: Um, Well, I mean, I mean, I just pulled up my little sheet from some of the research I was doing and most of it's in animals. Right. But again, like having extreme deficiency is one thing, but, and, and, and so is having an extreme excess. But even just increasing it slightly, like Van-Date is one of these ones that can lower testosterone, at least in animals. Um, nickel has been shown to lower testosterone. Um, cobalt uh, lowers testosterone. Of course, mercury, but that's, you know. But what's funny is lead actually increases testosterone. So, like, there's some of these ones. <laughs> You actually wouldn't predict, you know, if you start going through the list, aluminum decreases it. So people are cooking on aluminum foil, arsenic, you know, selenium, like you so, said, oh it's man. interesting.
1: So there's, so it's all very mixed then. Probably. So like, it is it worth like going through these or are there any kind of high yield stuff that um, someone who wants to improve their physique, improve their hormone profile, um, particularly as a male, um, yep. are, are there any kind of high yield stuff that you think they can do both to minimize their estrogen impact and also to, maximize testosterone.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, iodine has been one that's shown to increase it. I would focus on the ones that increase it and you know, some people take these these I think micronutrients get way over exaggerated in the testosterone field okay. because people are people are trying to bring up their testosterone naturally and one of the first things a lot of people do is say, "Oh, let's go to micronutrients." But the ones that are that work, besides lead, because you don't want to go there, mm. <laughs> um, would be chromium, cadmium, iodine, um, and well, honestly, boron as well. I don't know if that's pretty well studied. Yeah, um, let me just look at my list here. <laughs> um, just the I just, boron
1: just don't study want to say sure was quite a small one, so
2: I don't know whether. Boron, it's... yeah, no, that that's been shown to increase T in the studies they've done. Magnesium, like you said, zinc with aspartate, and then calcium as well. Um, so yeah, I mean the you know there's definitely some some micronutrients that you can focus on but i think just globally just trying to take all of them Mm -hmm. (laughs) it might be counterproductive so you want to focus on the the ones that work yeah
1: right and then is there anything outside of micronutrition that you think is
2: oh yeah for sure i'm kind of slowly working on a book in the background on this because just that list alone people want to see right they want to see what like nutrients like and that's why i was researching it and it's appalling how few studies there are you know like right. you think you like said you think it's such an easy study let's just add some bromide to some rats and just see how they're just at least do something like that right it's so yeah. easy and publish some papers get some additional grant funding i don't know but um i th- what's what's really interesting to me is the lps like the lipopolysaccharide and gut health uh yeah okay in- increasing your your bad bacteria and LPS into your bloodstream um, decreases testosterone for sure. And that's right. in one of the, I think that's related to stress too. So people talk a lot about cortisol and that's, the research is so all over the place with that. But one thing the research is not all over the place is if you've got bad gut bacteria and they're leaking LPS into your blood, you're lowering your testosterone from that.
1: Right. That's interesting. So so LPS and there's a really good article on LPS that I'll, I'll link in the show notes i can't remember the name of the blog but it's it's something like Biohacker yeah. or whatever
2: yeah yeah, um, yeah i've seen the same one i yeah, love that article. it's blue color greenish yeah, blue or,
1: that's yep. the one and um yep. the the other stuff that we recommend typically it would just be it, i mean it's boring but lifting vitamin d sleeping yep. beyond seven hours a night and eggs yep. um just because that's of the, awesome. the the cholesterol but you the jokes, know yep. Those, I mean, those answers are not very sexy. And I think people kind of think like, oh, well, I wanted, I wanted like the one (laughs) secret to improve test, but,
2: um, Oh, the gut bacteria. There you go. We got it. That's a new one for people because most people don't realize, like I've literally, you know, I've told people I've had people that really struggle with this and I'll tell them, and again, I do DNA consulting. So I, I do this every day. I've got multiple people and I'm sitting there talking to them on Skype for an hour and I'll tell people, like, you need to go camping for a week. Just yeah. take a week off work and go out in the woods, find somewhere remote and go camping. And watch your testosterone just totally reverse. You know, you got crappy testosterone and you watch, you know, because so your that... gut bacteria will just transform.
1: Oh, I see. But because of, is that because of being in a different airspace? Oh, there's
2: or? so many. Yeah, for sure. There's so many variables. Right? It's like anything else. Who knows what the... Like, you're probably eating healthier because you're designing your meals a lot more carefully because you're going out somewhere mm. into the woods. But... I mean there's so many variables but the gut bacteria i think are definitely changing and yeah i can't prove it with a study yet but
1: no i i think i've seen something about um it's almost like the your gut bacteria respond to the actual location that you're in and when people are in a new location they don't um that they're, they're, they're just not adapted to it it's like kind of, I can't, i'm gonna have to find it because i'm just gonna butcher this the study <laughs> yeah but i imagine as you said like yeah. you know being out in nature. The the um, whatever those the 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 things that are released from trees that um, modulate cortisol and being you know the the electro electrochemical effect of being grounded on the floor outside and
2: yeah um, there's a lot of factors all
1: that stuff yeah so yeah and and I
2: think but I think all of those things are factors but I think the gut bacteria transformation is probably the most dramatic in terms of. Uh, improving your testosterone, and you know, taking probiotics is kind of iffy in terms of you know how much of an effect that's going to have, and, and that's so unique and individualized, and the science is pretty—it's pretty difficult to to recommend. Oh, this is the probiotic you need in your situation. That's mm. so iffy, but nothing like getting out in the wilderness. You know, that's the probiotic you need. <laughs> right. I see. So
1: that plus the dietary changes in that LPS article that I'll link as well, and um, yeah. Yep. people are yep. on their way. That's cool, um, Anthony. I've got a couple more questions for you, and then um, hopefully wrap things up. I realise it's early morning for you, so. Um, <laughs> okay. um We so I emailed you about resveratrol um, uh, because yep. resveratrol is one of those things that's considered in the sports supplement world to be a naturally okay. derived anti-estrogen or a kind of estrogen modulator. Um, no. and your answer, you were saying like, it's actually pro estrogenic in some cases and anti-estrogenic in, on others. And so it's not really a clear answer. Um, yeah. so on balance, yeah. would you say that it's a kind of, it was it a yes or a no for
2: someone who's training again, just looking to improve their physique. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's the approach. I mean, again, if you're a pro athlete, you probably don't want to mess with it. You know, it's like there's other ways to be anti-estrogenic that don't have the potential for being pro estrogen and diindylmethane methane is the same thing right like a lot of people say oh you should supplement dim how come you didn't recommend in your book supplementing dim which is dim uh, the di- recommendation isn't it yeah is it I, yeah <laughs> i mean a lot of people a lot of people and and that's the, that's another one that it, yeah it can actually decrease your estrogen you can find those studies but it also can increase your estrogen you can find those studies and that's a it's a super dose dependent thing it's not the study's fault it's just dose dependent and it differs between different people so i'm not going to recommend dim just globally for people because it might start increasing your estrogen
1: right i see so so there's no there's no supplements i guess that would that would do that what about things like um clomiphene tamoxifen so the these are kind of the selective estrogen reuptake modulators that are pharmacologic
2: drugs that we would give yeah i mean i i say that we no. don't give but <laughs> yeah, yeah well no i mean i mean i've i talked to a lot of people that are on testosterone and and uh, you know taking aromatase inhibitors can be smart you know in certain situations but yeah i mean that stuff gets in the weeds really fast and gets the problem is it gets so personalized you know i mean i i definitely don't have like a global supplement that i recommend for people to like lower your estrogen except sauna. And that's not really supplement. I mean that's that's the global one. That one I can bank on. You're gonna sweat out estrogens, you know? But the actual like ingestion the ingesting something, honestly, like yeah, it's too I mean if you're burning fat, right? One of the things I like about the keto diet is when you transform your body into like into burning fat for fuel, if you're eating like eighty percent fat by calories, one of the reasons I appreciate that and it actually increases your testosterone, it's because you're burning these fat stores where these estrogens have been hanging out, you know, and the, the average lifespan of a fat cell is a year and a half and they can live up to 10 years. You know, they've done this radioactivity studies. And so, you know, those estrogens can hang out for a long time, but if you're burning the triglyceride droplets off, you're going to secrete more. You're going to shrink those fat cells. You're going to get the estrogens out and you're probably going to have an impact just from that. All um, right.
1: That's cool. <coughs> Um, yeah, so so keto keto diet and sauna are the two things that could at least clear out the fat cells from the latent estrogens that are in there. Um, right. I'm guessing. So I'm guessing clomiphene and tamoxifen. Is that a no, or is it just that like can't uh, can't recommend? That's a, pr- per-
2: oh, it's a personalized thing. I think. Yeah, I don't have any issue there. It's just like I say, it gets too customized to just throw it out there for everybody. In my mind, mm. I mean, what I. What I often do is I recommend positive epigenetic regulators, like like uh, sulforaphane is one, you know, um, which modulates your. And some people actually can find studies that show that's a little bit estrogenic if you have crazy high doses. But I mean, come on, we're not taking crazy, crazy high. Like if you give like a rat a rat like half of its body weight in sulforaphane, it's like, well, yeah, that's not real, and that's not going to happen in humans. Right. I see. Um, so it's yeah, because I mean the...
1: After you said about the resveratrol, I was like, well, if you just block the estrogen receptor, then surely that... But but then I don't know whether... You might you
2: upregulate. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's what, That's exactly what happens. It gets complicated in that sense. And that's hard to quantify. You know, between people, it varies so much. And you know, between different tissue types. So if you took out breast cells and you're studying those, it would differ between your kidney cells or your liver cells. And then, you know, because your liver is important with estrogen because then you're secreting clotting factors and your blood clots might go up. I mean, that's what you see with birth control users. You get a lot more blood clotting problems. So, yeah, you're exactly right. It gets really complicated really fast. This is one of the
1: things like with, you know, when they they give tamoxifen to... um, to postmenopausal women and it might increase the risk of breast cancer but decrease the risk of endometrial cancer because of the different receptors yep. yeah.
2: yeah yeah because so- there's estrogen receptor alpha and alpha and, and, and estrogen receptor beta and what's funny is the vegans for some reason they seem really emotionally attached to soy the vegans. <laughs> like, yeah and and because i get them all the time right they're sending me messages and um and saying because i because i i don't think people should be eating a ton of soy you know i mean it's Mm. not natural if you go on a soybean field and they're all over the place here in minnesota and you eat soybeans you can only eat like 10 of them and you're just disgusted you know it's like (laughs) oh these things initially it's like oh this is okay but your body just tells you yeah this is ridiculous let's stop doing this but if you process the heck out of them put a ton of salt on them you can eat a mountain of tofu
1: you know? Uh right, okay. And that's
2: loaded with phytoestrogen. Well, so you get and vegans that, some...
1: are, that are offended because you're saying don't eat soy.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're really emotionally attached to it. And not all of them, but I'm sure I'm sure there's reasonable ones out there. But <laughs> no, those aren't the ones that contact me. You're absolutely
1: I mean, it, this seems to be our experience with vegans as well. I don't know I don't know what it is. There must be some,
2: f- know, some effects. Effects that's yeah yeah, but well, they, it's, they probably, yeah, it's probably estrogen related <laughs> it's probably that emotional response you know because you know it's really funny yusuf there's publications um and a lot of people want me to write on this and i'm trying to but it's a it's a politically charged topic but there's publications that literally talk about male feminization from artificial estrogens and when i say that people are like oh you know like there's not even a difference between men and women, so how can you... Uh, but it's like, come on, like, that's just politics, right? Mm. But I've talked to scientists that study estrogen. Behind closed doors, they all tell me, oh, of course male feminization occurs, right? Even just lowering testosterone is a form of male feminization. But, like, for example, in frogs, if you hit them with 200 nanograms per deciliter of atrazine, they change, the males start to change into females. and yeah, then Are you seeing some, like, sexual dimorphism even in, like, Mountain Stream Fish and... Yeah, yeah, in Switzerland, yeah. And that's, and, and in that case, that was because of a, a river that was pouring into that lake from a right. city at birth control, so they traced that one back. But it's in the middle of nowhere, so you'd think you're fine. But yeah, sure enough, even that one. But yeah, you know, like, the male feminization issue is is legit, you know, like, you're switching your hormones out. It's almost like, you know, some kind of an, a therapy, but an anti-therapy, you know? mm and most scientists don't want to use that term. They they, they don't want to say male feminization, but even some of the pu- publications will straight up say that. And some I've of them got just got no
1: patience for when, when for people <clears throat> not not liking the outcome of scientific data. Yeah, yeah and, right. yeah, and therefore being like, oh no, you shouldn't be saying that. Yeah. And it, it's it's just an obstruction to the our progress as humans, and it's it's causing us to cycle backwards as a population. Right. To yeah, so. um I'd like, I'll certainly defend you if you, uh, if you post that article about the male feminization,
2: because, you know, this is something oh, and, data's and, saying, and the reason I brought it up, right. is because I think, you know, if you're hammering phyto, even phytoestrogens all the time, if you're just pounding those and, you know, straight lining plant estrogens, and then who knows what other estrogens you're adding on top of that cocktail, you're probably going to have emotional, yeah changes that are happening in your brain you've got estrogen receptors in you and you know what's funny about the the vegan argument and this is the vegan argument because dr michael greger is the he's the one that proposes this argument and everybody latches onto to it he's the guy that wrote a book called how not to die and it basically just says you can't eat meat it's worse than smoking uh, okay um, and it's silly, but like, but I'm reading that book right now actually, so it's pretty fresh in my head. I'm just kind of going through it to see because he's got some good stuff to offer as well. Like he doesn't, he, he for example, he he recommends changing your chronic illness by changing your diet, right? And him and I totally agree with that. It's like don't just the first line of defense should not be a pill. You shouldn't rush to the doctor and say give me a pill to suppress my symptoms. It should be how can I change my diet? Change my diet again? Change my until you got it locked down and hopefully your chronic thing goes away. If it, it, last resort, yeah, go to the doctor for sure. You know, again, keep the doctor in the loop this whole time because you want to be checking your blood, you want to be monitoring. But anyways, um, but his argument with the the vegan, the soy, and all this is. There's estrogen receptor alpha and there's estrogen receptor beta, all right? And he argues that the plant estrogen, and, he put, and he's got this YouTube video where he puts a paper up on the screen and it shows, you know, like soy phytoestrogen more specifically b- binds one of those receptors and not the other one. Alpha instead of beta,
0: mm-hmm. and
2: that, that protects you against breast cancer, right? And, and, and because the, the breast tissue only has the other receptor, right? Right. But th- what's really funny is I looked up that paper because I was like, man, that's a good argument. You know, I, c- I can go with that. That's cool. And maybe that's one of the reasons there's such a discrepancy here with the soy plant estrogens instead of gut bacteria. So I looked up the paper and the second figure, like that's one figure. Okay. But then the next figure used a different cell type that was just in cells. And they used a totally different cell line just from a different person. And it showed the exact opposite. The, <laughs> and see, it's the, like, well, I'm these cherry picking completely. The, this is the problem you know. when You've got someone. You've got someone
1: like you, who's an absolute nuclear warhead with uh, <laughs> with, with estrogen research, reading a, a book that just throws out a citation and hopes that no one reads it.
2: Yeah, it's frustrating. But you know, you can weird. have you can you can be a vegan without pounding estrogens too i think it's a a perfectly valid thing to do like
1: to be honest as much as we like we take the mick out of vegans a lot and we got we we upset a bunch of them the other day because we posted a a photo that had uh, i don't know if you saw it on our instagram that was like um during the storm the hurricane and the supermarkets has been ransacked but then the vegan section is completely intact (laughs) but yeah of course people got very upset about that but like no, I I very much um, admire the mission of saving saving animals and um, reducing the the amount of total suffering in the world and all of that. And, you know, I, I, maybe it's my moral failing that I'm not um, disciplined enough to not eat meat. Um, but yeah, at the same time, sometimes the way they go about pr- propagating their mission is yeah. a very much a religious
2: approach. Yeah, a lot of people do. Even even, I think every diet has those people you know the keto guys there's some people there the carnivore guys especially you know there. yeah you find them and and that's one of the reasons i like doing dna doing dna because because people are different i don't want anybody to be ideological about one diet versus another one i want to see what's your genetics and how does that vary and 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 how are your epigenetics? What were you exposed to growing up? Or how is your, how's your working out? How's your, what's your age? It's just like stem cells. You know, I told you before, I'm doing stem cell research. If you take stem cells out of a male versus a female and inject them into somebody, you get a different outcome. If you take them out of an old person versus a young, young person and inject them into somebody, you get a different outcome. If you get them, like say you take them out of a keto diet guy and then you take them out of an average American, you're going to get a different outcome with those stem cells. And we're trying to do mm-hmm. these studies. Yeah, and it messes up. It gets all the research confounded, and it you know what, talking to you
1: is like talking to a quantum physicist on the as in like <laughs> in the once you get down to the 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 really the really high the, the really sort of um, deep level of, of
2: mechanisms. No, I think I think it's just common sense, right? It's like, but the problem is in America, we're pretending like like there's no difference between the standard American diet and and, and like a normal and like somebody else who's not on the standard. You know, we're pretending in the scientific research that's not a difference.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: so those stem cells shouldn't matter. Like, but of course there's a difference, right? Like, well, you can quantify the difference. Just look at the <laughs> hormones. That's a good place to start, right? Look at the insulin. I mean, my brother, he's a nurse's assistant. He sees people commonly, like, in the 200 range for glucose in their blood. And I don't know if that's, like, I, you guys probably are doing millimolar, so it's, like, yeah, totally so I, different. So would, is it just multiplied by 10? So it'd be people with
1: over... Is it, I, I don't yeah, yeah. I don't know, honestly. We we would say the normal range would be between, say, four
2: and eight. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. You'd have to look up the American values for that. But, like, you definitely want to be under 100 in America. You probably want to be under, you would actually want to be under 90. So it sounds like it's, yeah, multiplied by 10 then. So, so probably a little bit. So, like, very
1: hyperglycemic.
2: Like, double what it should be, (laughs) literally. You know, and that's, like, super common. And, (laughs) you know, it's like, yeah anyways the point is like there's a lot of variation from people but these studies are muddling a lot of this out
1: i see yeah i've heard some crazy things about american um diabetes approach but i think this com- kind of comes down to um and we spoke with kamal patel from examine.com about this um yeah. oh yeah yeah was, He was yeah a great guy and he was just saying how the british healthcare system i don't know how it compares to canada but um is very much <clears throat> defensive medicine um under treating under investigating and the American system is very over investigative because of the different profit potential, um, yeah, cost, yeah. you know, cost driven versus profit driven approaches. And, uh, yeah, you know, seeing when I went to New York, seeing the way that people, <laughs> um, that like over the counter drugs were being advertised on TV and um, yeah, it's just so, yeah. it's so foreign to me. Like, and yeah. you know, I've heard of like, you have someone who's obese in a diner, um, and is injecting insulin before having a cheesecake. Um, yep, or like, yep, yep. you know, just like there's a lot of, uh, some crazy differences with the way that things are done and that someone right. might come in with a cut on their yeah. finger and they'll get a, a CT scan of their head just in case they <laughs> sue the doctor. And yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. 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 It's all centered around covering your ass, you know, the, the CCOA or whatever it's called. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: cool that's
2: that's america oh man
1: well anthony it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you i will definitely follow up with you about the results of our um of our test as long as you think 12 weeks is long enough between tests otherwise we can
2: it should be yeah it should be it should give you an increased rate i mean obviously testosterone can change day to day and that makes it difficult yeah but so and that's true again i want to remind everybody else who are doing this at home the more time points you can do the better you know the more tests you can do the better it doesn't have to be 20 of them it can just be a couple but it's better to have more and more just to increase your your confidence
1: yeah so yeah. you can be total accuracy of the of the data um how can people find out more about you and you know your, your book your website um
2: yeah media? um yeah, I mean, the best place is AJConsultingCompany.com, which is a terrible name, but I made it up way back when I, I was doing some research for the U.S. government on viruses, and I was actually creating lentivirus in the lab from DNA. I was injecting, oh, no. I was putting, I was, I was transfecting DNA into live cells, and then the cells were making virus for me, so I was, manipul- I was designing virus, which was kind of cool. cool. But then they, they had to make a consulting company at the time, so... I just threw down. Hey, hey, let's just call it AJ Consulting Company. It doesn't really matter, right? And now I'm stuck with that stupid egotistical, <laughs> egotistical name. But that's where people could find me. <laughs> cool. Well, I suppose you can always
1: get a, a, a domain redirect eventually, or something. I could.
2: I could. I'm just too busy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, cool. And then Not and your book much. as well, Easter Generation, definitely worth checking out. If you, if any of this has piqued your interest and you want to dive more into that. And, um, you know, subscribe to, to find out more about Anthony's new book that's coming out soon. I will definitely be on that about, uh, optimizing hormones in general. Um, so I'm guessing that's the oh, kind nice. of like the practical side of, of things.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah. And I, I mean, I'm working on a book on DNA because I'm obsessed with that and, and, and epigenetics, a two, like a two part book that kind of go together. I'm going to try and release those at the same time. I have a lot of books up in the air. I'm kind of working on, and it's hard to predict when those are going to come out. I keep thinking I have it figured out, but then it's more work than I thought, so yeah, but keep yeah, stay posted on that because it's it's interesting and fun. I'm trying to make it s- simple for people, you
1: know? oh cool, yeah, I definitely know the feeling with that um i I wrote two articles recently, one on posture and one on satiety, the so hunger regulation. Both of them, I yep. thought oh, I'll be able to knock something out in a thousand words it'll be pretty yeah, and then yeah. as soon as you dive in, it's such a <laughs> rabbit hole,
2: but that's science, yeah
1: it is. <laughs> Anthony, thank you. I'll speak to you very soon.
2: All right, Yusuf, thanks.
0: Hey, Johnny again. Hope you enjoy that episode. So we have an opportunity for you, something that we have put together that is totally free, that is a synthesis of everything that Yusuf and I have learned in fat loss, muscle gain, nutrition, training, lifestyle, habits, the works. Everything that you hear on these podcasts, condensed and more, condensed into a synthesis ...of seven days of learning and immersive experience to totally overhaul, enhance and accelerate the results you're getting currently in your training and your nutrition... ...no matter how advanced you are or aren't. We put together a virtual learning interactive coaching experience called the 7 Day Kickstart that you can take part in whenever you're ready to. To join, simply go www.profitfitness.com forward slash 7 Day Kickstart enter your details and you'll be sent everything that you need you'll be coached by the ProPin fitness coaching team over seven days for free you'll get seven days of content sent to your email completely for free and it gives you a look behind the scenes of what we do with clients and gives you a ton of information that previously was only available to paying clients inside of our world so propinfitnesscom forward slash seven day kickstart to take part and we hope to see you inside see you in the next episode speak soon